RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. Every year for the last 10 years, Dr John Swinnon spends up to a month or two on unpaid leave for overseas missions organised by Médecine Sans Frontières, or Doctors Without Borders, commonly known by its acronym MSF. He's risked his life treating hundreds of gunshot wounds, bomb blast injuries and performed countless operations not often seen in developed countries like ours. His voluntary work with MSF has taken him to the world's most dangerous regions, including eastern Congo, the Afghanistan-Pakistan border, Yemen and Gaza. When he's not overseas, he's a staff specialist in vascular surgery for the Western Sydney Local Health District and Professor of Surgery at Sydney University. In 2016, Dr Swinnon was awarded a Medal of the Order of Australia for his service to medicine, particularly through international humanitarian roles. This year, he's a nominee for the New South Wales Australian of the Year. Chris Ashmore asks John Swinnon how his career in surgery began. I started my medical training in Cape Town. I finished it in New Zealand at Otago, and I decided I wanted to be a general surgeon, particularly a very general surgeon working in base hospitals, doing everything, orthopaedics, obstetrics, plastics, burns, etc. So when I finished my medical training in New Zealand, I did the general surgical training program in New Zealand. I became a general surgeon and then I went to the UK and worked in the NHS for three years doing various subspecialty trainings, paediatrics, plastics and burns, vascular, gastroenterology. And then I came back to New Zealand and for 10 years I worked in New Zealand-based hospital as a general surgeon in Greymouth on the west coast of the South Island and in Wanganui in uh, the North Island. And there I would do everything. My particular interests were vascular, burns, skin cancer, but I'd also do some caesarean sections to help out the gynaecologists and obstetricians. I do orthopaedic work to help out the orthopaedic surgeons. So I was what I wanted to be, a very general surgeon. And then around the age of 40, I sort of got bored with being a jack of all trades and master of none. And I decided I'd specialise in my main interest, vascular surgery. And I came across to Australia at the age of 42 to do a two-year surgical registrar job training in vascular surgery. And I did that here in Sydney at Liverpool and Westmead Hospital. And at the end of that, I got my ticket as a fully qualified vascular surgeon. And although my intent was going back to New Zealand, I'd become interested in the new endovascular surgery which was developing, minimally invasive vascular surgery where you fix problems with wires and balloons rather than cutting people open. And I was offered multiple jobs around Australia because of my interest in this new field and the skills I'd developed. So I took up a position at Westmead Hospital as a vascular surgeon to introduce endovascular surgery to our unit. The other reason we ended up staying here is that shortly after arriving here with my four children and my wife, who's a GP, is that my oldest son developed spinal cancer and he got really good treatment from the Westmead Children's Hospital but proceeded to die over the next two years. But that's one of the reasons we stayed here. So anyway, I became a specialised vascular endovascular surgery at Westmead Hospital And I did that for 10 years, gradually becoming more and more focused on renal replacement therapy. That's dialysis and transplantation. 
And then about 10 years ago at Christmas, my oldest daughter sent me a website saying that MSF, the NGO, was looking for French-speaking general surgeons for their Africa missions. And she said, Dad, you should go. You speak French and you're a general surgeon. Having said that, I hadn't done general surgery for 10 years, but I had done a lot of work in it in the past. So she sent me that website, I think, in December. And by March, three months later, I was in the eastern Congo in Ruchuru in the North Kivu working for MSF France at their MSF hospital. So that's my medical background. Oh, that's incredible. And, um, I mean, you said it yourself, being a jack-of-all-trades, and it seems obvious that you have a lot of interest in doing different things. Is that one of the reasons why you chose to do volunteer work? Because, because it was interesting? Yeah. Look, I've always wanted to do that. And uh, by that stage, my kids were grown up. And having been a general surgeon, got bored with that, become highly specialised in endovascular surgery and renal replacement therapy. I sort of got a bit bored with that and went back to general surgery, but in developing countries, in war zones, basically. But one of the strong things that motivated me is that I'd noticed in developed countries like Australia, our medicine, our medical practice and surgical practice had become increasingly geriatrics, increasingly palliative. Most of the patients we would deal with in the West now are old and sick with multiple comorbidities and curative processes and procedures are becoming fewer. That's one of the reasons I've gone into renal replacement therapy because all the patients with renal failure that are alive are alive because of our interventions. So that's very much the medical model. But going on these MSF missions, it's, I'm like a pig in mud. You're dealing with young people with life-threatening, limb-threatening problems, and you can cure them. You can fix them forever of those problems. It's something you don't see anymore in developed countries. Mm. So that motivated me. Absolutely. And look, you've been to some very dangerous parts of the world, haven't you? Can you tell us some of the places you've been? Because I'm a general surgeon, I've in fact become one of MSF's war surgeons. So they've got a number of general surgeons with broad training like myself, generally older people now, who've done a lot of missions and can deal with virtually anything. And I've done three two-month missions in the Eastern Congo. That's in the North Kivu, which is the area that got involved in the Rwandan civil war and the genocide. I've done two missions in Aden City, the second one during the Houthi siege of Aden City, which was my toughest mission. And I've done two missions in Gaza, the first one during Operation Protective Shield, which was the war between Gaza and Israel in 2014. And I've done one mission on the AFPAC border near the Khyber Pass. So all war zones, zones of instability with MSF France. You mentioned one of those places was the most dangerous place you went to, but why was it dangerous? Well, I got an email in 2015 saying that the MSF hospital in Aden City, where there was a chronic low-grade civil war, urgently needed some war surgeons like me because the Houthis had invaded from the north and had overrun the entire country and had surrounded Aden City, which is a population of a million. And although I wasn't planning to go on an MSF mission at that time, 
it sounded like, you know, it could be interesting work. So I said, yes. And the first thing they said is, you're allowed no more luggage than seven kilograms. So for the entire month that I was going to be overseas, I was only entitled to seven kilograms. My computer's three kilograms. My medicines and toiletry items are another sort of kilogram. It doesn't leave much room for clothing and extras. And I thought that reason was that they were going to fly us in by a light plane because I knew that the city was surrounded by the Houthis. I knew that the Houthis controlled the harbour and weren't letting any boats in. And I knew they'd destroy the airport, so there was no flights going in. So I wasn't quite sure how they were going to insert me in that mission. So anyway, I found out the day before I left that they were flying me from Sydney to Dubai and from Dubai to Djibouti in North Africa. So I assumed that I'd be going in by boat. But again, I wasn't quite sure how because I knew the harbour was occupied by the Houthis and the Saudis were enforcing a blockade because the Saudis were on the side of the southern resistance, anti-Houthi. So anyway, I arrived in Djibouti and that's where I found out that they were sending in the missions on a large fishing boat that MSF had hired. It had two powerful engines and it could cross from Djibouti to Aden City across the Gulf of Aden, a distance of about 300 kilometres. But the people I met in Djibouti who had gone into the mission and came out told me that the boat trip was daunting. It was anything between 13 and 26 hours in an open boat in rough seas. And then we had to cross the Saudi blockade, so we were given a satellite phone. The MSF Paris and the Parisian embassy had negotiated with the Houthis and the Saudis to let our boat through. So when we came across the Saudi destroyers blockading the harbour, we had to give them a code to let us through. And then we arrived in the harbour and the Houthis started shooting at us, although they'd said we were allowed to land. We weren't sure whether it was happy shooting to welcome us or unhappy shooting to kill us. But either way, the captain told us to lie flat in the deck while he negotiated on his mobile phone. And, yeah, one of his sailors sort of lost it because of the shooting. He was a guy from Djibouti, and he said, I'm sick of coming here to Aden City to be shot at. I don't want to die here. I want to go back. And Anyway, eventually we got to the harbour, and the Houthis let us in. And then with our MSF Toyota Land Cruiser, we went through the occupied city, and then we had to cross the front line. So again, back on the satellite phone, ask the Houthis to stop shooting, ask the Southern Resistance to stop shooting so our vehicle can cross, and then into the Southern Resistance territory to our hospital. And in our hospital, we were looking after mainly civilians, but also wounded soldiers from both sides. One of the advantages of this mission was that our hospital was 400 metres from the front line. So a wounded soldier could be brought from the front line to our casualty in under 10 minutes. So I saw more severely injured people there than ever in my life. That's incredible. And no doubt you probably have many other stories from your time volunteering. The kind of surgery that you do, John, when you're in these places, what is it and how different is it to what you do back in Australia? It's totally different. In a sense, it's the surgery we used to do 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago in the developed world, and that's now all been superseded with high-tech medicines, CAT scanners, minimally invasive surgery, laparoscopes. But you can imagine in a tent hospital in a battle zone, you don't have that sort of stuff, so you're back to the old-fashioned knife and fork, scalpel, theatre trolleys, and you do the old-fashioned general surgery of your 
So I do craniotomies. I do a lot of plastics and burns, a lot of skin flaps. I do thoracotomies. I do trauma laparotomies. I fix broken bones, mainly X-fixes, which are external skeletons. You put on the fractured open wounds. And always in all these missions, heaps and heaps of cesarean sections and complicated cesarean sections, ruptured uteruses, incarcerated pelvises, and stuff like that. Because remember, when law and order collapses in one of those places and there's a war going on, there's still pregnant women there in various stages of pregnancy who need obstetric care, but the hospitals aren't running, the doctors have left. So invariably, MSF takes over the urgent obstetric care. So I've done hundreds of cesarean sections in my missions, and some of the stuff I've done you wouldn't see here, like ruptured uteruses. I think, according to my audit, I've done something like 16, which you might do at Westmead once a year. It's incredible what you've done, and the time you've been overseas, John, what would you say you've learned, not just as a surgeon, but perhaps as a human being as well? Well, partly it's what I learned when I started working at Westmead, Westmead, Western Sydney, is really a very cosmopolitan society. And after working at Westmead and doing these missions, you realise that everyone is the same. People are not differentiated by nationality, by religion, by sex, by political preferences. Fundamentally, everyone's got the same needs and desires. And working at Westmead, when I get a new staff member, I've got two questions. One is, are they ethical? And two is, are they competent? And all the rest is totally irrelevant. So those are the only things that matter. And I've also found that on MSF missions, that you go into a mission and you end up with doctors and nurses from all over the world working for MSF and a lot of local staff we hire. And again, I've only got two questions. Are you ethical? Are you competent? And the rest doesn't matter. The other thing I've learned is how resilient human society is how you can strip away virtually everything. You can strip away a water supply. You can take away electricity. You can take away security. You can take away food. And the community continues to function. It adjusts. It adapts. People look after their neighbours. They're friendly. They support each other. They're friendly to us who come and help them. Basically, humanity is good, and the bad elements are few, which is a surprising message to come out of war zones. Indeed. Well, finally, John, to anyone who's listening to this, considering volunteering, what advice would you give? The first and most important is you've got to pick the correct NGO. And there's a proliferation of NGOs around the world. Most of them have good intentions, but I think very few of them actually have the power and logistics to deliver. So to deliver good quality health care in a war zone, I'm the bit player. I'm not the important person. The important thing in MSF is its logistics. As a surgeon, whether I'm standing at my operating theatre in Westmead or whether I'm standing at an operating theatre in the Congo or in Afghanistan, to me it's the same. It's an operating theatre. I've got my anaesthetist. I've got my patient. I've got my scalpel. I've got my forceps. To me, just slightly different environment. But same equipment, same problems. The real problem lies, how do you set up a medical service, an operating service, sterile equipment, sterile water, good nurses and ICU in a place where there is no fresh water, 
where there's no running water, where there's no police, where there's no security, where people are fighting outside, where there's no electricity. But that's what MSF does. It's basically a mini Westmead hospital set up somewhere in the middle of nowhere without any support. We produce our own water, our own electricity, we hire our own staff, we bring in our drugs. In fact, when people think of MSF, they think, oh, it's a cuddly, cute little NGO. It's not. It's like Amazon or it's like Google. It's a huge, powerful, wealthy, extremely modern and highly organized organization that can deliver quality health care in the most abysmal situations anywhere in the world. Our motto is, we go where no one else will go. And there's a few similar organizations like the Red Cross. Dr. John Swinnan. RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. You can reach the Bongiorno National Network on plus 613 9863 3111.